Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Texans Browns Christmas hangover sort of postgame show. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. Hope everybody got their Red Rider BB gun and enjoyed some eggnog. But Sean, Santa brought the Texans a lump of coal for the holidays. That one felt over with when Grenard and Ward went down early because you could argue the Texans were without six of their nine most important players. If you add C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, Tank Dell, and Blake Cashman. I basically figured it out for you. If you want to know the other three guys, I can tell you who they are. <laughs> the, other, the other nine most important. But, you know, Jimmy Ward, maybe not the most talented, but he's up there with the six most important guys. He's definitely one of the most important. And look, the loss of him now being placed on IR, lost for the rest of the season, he's certainly one of the most important and impactful in that secondary. Look, at one point in that Browns game, you were down. Jimmy Ward, Steven Nelson, and Jonathan Grenard, they were all questionable uh, to return. It was just uh, a snowball effect. I mean, sticking with the Christmas theme, right? <laughs> um, <Yeah>. It was... <laughs> It, it, it was it was a horrible, horrible experience for the second time, unfortunately, in the span of just three, four weeks time coming off of that loss uh, to the Jets. The way that you did and the one that's just kind of compounding that's affected a big chunk of the Texan season here down the stretch, losing C.J. Stroud in that game, too. It's It's been a tough go of things. And this is a very, very important week, not just obviously for C.J. Stroud, but look, for a defense, Robert, that you mentioned was minus Will Anderson, minus Blake Cashman, now without Jimmy Ward for the rest of the season. It's a defense that showed really, really well. Maybe their best defensive effort of the season against the Tennessee Titans a couple of weeks ago. You're seeing that same offense, which may be a little bit more depleted now with Will Levis in question. You need some of your key dudes back if you want to make this push. Yeah, no question about it. You mentioned Ward out. Kareem Jackson back. As of Tuesday, yep, D'Amico's got his second old teammate that's on the roster from his days as the Texans, along with John Weeks. And Sean Kareem's pro football focus grade this season, 67.5 and eight starts. He's looked great when he's not doing his Jack Tatum impersonation and getting suspended for illegal hits. It's been a bunch of games, but two interceptions, which is two more than we got from Jalen Petrie so far this year. Hey, look, it's a, it's a great addition. I thought it should have been an absolute consideration by the Texans as soon as you know news had come out that he was cut by the Broncos. You absolutely have to take a look at it, and you start looking a little bit deeper. You don't have to go too deep to see, hey, look, former Alabama guy, fit, right? Played with D'Amico Ryans for a couple of years before uh, D'Amico moved on up to Philadelphia. Fit, the aggressive um, effort reliable, be in the right place kind of guy in the secondary, what this Texans defense once needs, especially at this point in time, fit. I mean, across the board, it was a move that if the Texans could pull it off, they needed to make it. They did. I think it's a huge addition. And not even just to say this, look, here's a 10-year veteran who there's not much he hasn't seen. He's got the chops. He's got the knowledge. I wondered immediately how impactful, not just could he be in the next two weeks and maybe beyond for the Texans, but how impactful a guy like that could be for Jalen Petrie, who you think back to Kareem Jackson at his peak, who's now 35 years of age, but heck three, four years ago when he was playing maybe the best ball of his entire career, 
Isn't that who exactly we want Jalen Petrie to be? Mr. Reliable, there in coverage, but an absolute hit stick when he's coming up and making a play in the underneath routes like Kareem Jackson has become known for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's who you want. I, I want to bang through some of the key moments in the Browns game, Sean. Steven Nelson and Jimmy Ward, both of them combined to get beat deep on the first play of the game, which was a play action to Amari Cooper. This, to me, was straight out of the Kubiak-Shanahan playbook. So for me, I thought, why weren't they prepared? D'Amico's defense just came out of the blocks not prepared because that's exactly what I would expect from, you know, uh, you know, somebody that D'Amico saw a lot of offensively as far as it just, I don't, I don't know. I didn't like that look right off the, right out of the gate. No, it was a horrible look, especially given the fact that D'Amico Ryan's all week long had talked about having to guard against Flacco and the deep ball, the chunk plays is where they'd made their bread and butter in recent weeks with him under center. I mean, heck, he just thrown for 374 yards in a 20-17 to 17 victory against the Chicago Bears a week prior. And so you knew you had to be wary of that, and you had to be on it in coverage. The pass rush, look, they didn't get home. You know, they didn't get Flacco. I don't, I don't think he got sacked once. I think they got maybe one sack, and that was Dorian Thompson-Robinson in garbage time. But the fact that, you know, look, you were still getting into the pocket and affecting throws. Heck, they had him in the grasp one time, and he made a great throw. He made some great throws that day, but also took advantage of some very soft coverage, late coming over to help over the top, or just quite simply not helping when you were supposed to over the top in the case of Jalen Petrie, which ended up getting him benched. Yeah, you could say maybe D'Amico also could have adjusted a little, because once Grenard goes down, you might have to adjust and say, I, I know I hate the blitz. I know I like the four-man fronts and whatever, but we don't have Grenard. We don't have Will Anderson. I, I need to get some pressure on this guy. And Joe Flacco, you know, he's better in the pocket than I think a lot of people think. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson, of course, but he's better than people think. However, you know, why not try to get him off schedule a little bit, do something different once you know that that's the case? You you, you kind of have to take some chances because if you don't, you're just letting him sit back there, especially with all the injuries that you've got, you know, in the secondary as well. I mean, I think they trusted Jerry Hughes and Derek Barnett, you know, to be good enough. Barnett has played really good ball in a limited amount of time since being with the Texans. I think they like, you know, what he's brought along with Khalil Davis, two guys that hadn't been here all season and played a significant role all season come in here in the last month or so and played some good ball. Jerry Hughes led this team in sacks last year. And I thought, you know, that was just a little bit of faith to the game plan because you had two guys, two veterans that you thought could go out and execute it. It was just, uh, it was a tough go. You know, Flacco caught all that hell for, you know, the last few years in Baltimore, but I don't know that he had the greatest of offensive systems to play in. Uh, and then two, look, just being an older, cagier guy, I know just a few weeks removed from applying to the NFL Network as an analyst, but still, I mean, you see what you see. The game has slowed down, savvy in the pocket, and the protection for him on that offensive front was good enough uh, against what looked to be like a really fearsome defensive front for the Texans just a week prior. I just want to know what, what you thought of the Slowick bringing in Davis Mills for three plays in the first couple of drives. They brought him for that read option in a very random early drive situation, like early in a drive. 
wasn't thrilled with that. Hated it. First and ten. It was on a first and ten. They ran the stinking Mills cat. <laughs> oh yeah, and then but I and I I even hated the ones more that were after that where he comes in for what was it two straight play. I was just like I don't get what like Davis Mills. What does he do that's so incredible that you throw off the entire rhythm of the offense? Nothing. I mean, what what what's the discernible difference between Davis Mills and Case Keenum? I mean, one's tall, one's a little stockier and shorter, one's got a bigger arm, one doesn't. One has to step up in the pocket to get everything he possibly can, every last little drop of mustard on a ball, you know, to work into some slants and digs and the tougher out routes. Uh, mobility of rolling out. I mean, there's not much of a discernible difference. Like what could possibly have thrown the Browns defensive coordinator off Greg Schwartz that much for like, Oh no, here comes Davis. I thought it was a horrible idea. The fact that they sat down for a week and came up with that garbage game plan. It, it was embarrassing to be quite honest with you. I, I, at first I didn't have a massive problem with it because I thought, okay, slow it being a little cute. You bring Mills in to set up something later, you know, a particular look or a play action, bootleg, rollout, whatever. It was far deeper than that. Look, after the 53-yard reception on the first drive of the game for the Browns, and then three drives later when they complete that 75-yard touchdown pass to Amari Cooper, you have to throw cuteness out the window, in my opinion. You've got to say, all right, we're in a hole. Damian got us back in it a little bit with a 98-yard touchdown. We've got to commit to the run game, which is working, by the way, with Devin Singletary back there. We've got to commit to the run, and we've got to control the clock, and we've got a slog fest on our hands. They didn't do that, and I thought not deviating, not adjusting, pivoting, whatever you want to call it, in the middle of a game has been one of Slowick's. And D'Amico's, to be quite honest with you, at times this season, one of their few flaws. And I, th- I think it certainly cost them uh, against the Browns that day. Yeah, I, I feel like there's been a little bit of crowning Bobby Slowick some, somewhat in this season, which to me, there's just been a lot of weird stuff that he's done. He seems to have to learn stuff the hard way and, and has to be cute. And then, at, and then the next Thursday, he's got to go, yeah. That wasn't so great. I, I I probably don't need to do that. Like, think it through. Like, I need him to think it through a little bit. And that that's well, what's frustrating. I'll tell you what. I mean, maybe it's a uh, – I mean, what's greater than a microcosm? I'd say a microcosm of that has been Dalton Schultz. I remember uh, talking some ball with him, you know, a few months ago about, uh, you know, the voluminous uh, playbook that is Bobby Slowick's version of the West Coast offense and and Schultz was like, man, you know, day one, when I got the book, I, as soon as I got on the practice field, I told Sloak, I'm going to have to mess things up a lot. That's how I learn. Maybe Sloak's the same way. You know, maybe he's just kind of first-year play caller, first-year coordinator. This is very new to him, and he's been very successful, a part of a very successful team to this point in time, considering where they'd come from at least. It's a groundbreaking, and so there's going to be missteps. There's going to be mistakes. The thing is, I, I feel like we've said this all season long, and I know – Texans have lost three of their last five. The offense, even with Stroud, was struggling and scuffling a little bit. Offensive line, there's a lot of factors there. But Slowick has shown the ability to improve week to week. When, as you said, something hadn't worked, he generally figures it out and comes up with a pretty good game plan You know, the following week. It's the in-game adjustments 
when you can correct something, when you when your game plan is being affected so greatly by the defense, not being as stubborn and hard headed as like, no, this is what we're doing this week and we're sticking to it. Hey, that's an opportunity to flash your creativity, you know, flash your knowledge and to be exactly what you said you wanted to be in the preseason aggressive. The two defensive things that bothered me the most was that first play. And then when D'Angelo Ross gets burned in coverage, uh, Nelson was out at that point. It was kind of terrible. It was another bad look when Cooper gets that touchdown. Just leaving him on an island like that was was bad. I'm sure you don't differ with me on that one either. No, and you know, it was, I think, a clear-blown coverage by Petrie. He should have been helping over the top with D'Angelo Ross on Amari Cooper. The fact that D'Angelo Ross was even on Amari Cooper in that instance, to me, is egregious. I know D'Amico, after the game, said, hey, that's just not what we do. I thought what you did was draft the best players possible at the position of need, Derek Stingley, a couple of years ago, and then play them against when they're ready. And it appears over the course of the last month, Derek Stingley is very ready to be matched up on the opposition's best receiver. In that instance, it was Amari Cooper. He should have been there instead of filling around with Cedric Tillman, a rookie, on the other side of the field. It was a non-factor. But it's not the same play. It's not the same philosophy. And I don't know this for an absolute fact, but I'm just trusting my football eyes as the play that Stingley made a few weeks back when he intercepted a pass on man coverage, when Petrie bit down on the underneath route. That was on purpose. Petrie was supposed to bite down, take that underneath route away, setting Stingley up in man coverage to make a play on the ball. That's not what was supposed to happen in that play. Petrie and Ross were supposed to double-team Cooper, and Petrie did not, didn't see it, uh, whiffed on the coverage, and ended up getting benched for it. Another touchdown was when Njoku got burned on that post route, which wasn't a shocker. When I talked with Browns Insider, the Browns Insider last week, it was one of the things I brought up. I said, Njoku, I'm telling you right now, he's going to burn the Texans. Blake Cashman's not there. They, they've got some issues uh, covering tight ends to begin with, so that's going to be bad. About the only sort of silver lining in this game was Damian Pierce kickoff returner. Is that something moving forward? Maybe. Should be. A guy returns 198 yards to the house. I mean, you got to give him another look. And I think he had another couple opportunities after that where he'd gotten the Texans up to around their own 29, 33-yard line on some returns. So he did a really good job. And it kind of fits the style of Damian Pierce, right, where he sees everything. He sees the blocks happening in front of him a considerable distance away before he's got to make a decision. And he gets to put his head down and just freaking go and bowl over people and I know on the return, you didn't have to move over anybody, really. It was just great coverage, but I think you absolutely need to take uh, advantage of his speed. He is fast. He can make, you know, subtle, subtle, but very quick cuts and not miss a beat. So you got to you, you go back to that well, because look, post-game, he was on Sports Radio 16's post-game show on Texan Radio and said, hey, look, every struggle that I've kind of gone through this season in running the football out of the backfield, it ain't going to be fixed this year. I'm going to need an offseason for it. And there's a lot of things that the system is asking me to do that I am not mentally capable of yet. But he's eating up a spot on this roster. He's talented. He's fast. He's strong. You got to put him to work some way. And I'm down for the kick return. Yeah, no question about it. I'm, I'm like, let's get the best guys doing what they're doing. I'm, I'm not worried about a running back's longevity, especially if he doesn't look like an elite running back, which Damian Pierce 
looked at maybe the first half, two thirds of last year. But since then, you know, we just haven't seen it. And, you know, one of the things you cannot do, Sean, when you don't have your starting quarterback is commit a bunch of penalties, especially on offense. Dieter, Scruggs, Tunsil, and Woods all had first half penalties and some important ones. There was also the dumb Andrew Beck special teams penalty. I keep feeling like they're trying to make Andrew Beck a thing for me. And I'm I'm somebody that's like, okay, I know you might need a fullback, but you kind of have to prove me, prove to me that this guy is involved in everything and he's doing a good job. And and this wasn't, you know, something where, well, uh, and you know, you can't have a fullback on special teams, but they're trying to make him a thing. And a lot of times I just don't think he's a thing. I don't think he's as good. They want him to be what the 49ers have had at fullback, and he's not that. I almost want to say he just he's that far away, that far away from making some of those, you know, necessary plays. And if he just doesn't possess the necessary athletic ability to do some of that, it might very well be the case. <laughs> there's there's a reason why he made a little NFL history earlier this season against was it Jacksonville on that uh, 89 yard kick return for a touchdown. I think the heaviest player to do so at least in like 50, 60 years time, whatever it was, it was ridiculous. There's a reason. I, I like him because I like the hustle. I like the effort. I like the mentality. He's a, a, the only guy back there. And apparently at this point in the season, you're 17 weeks in. If uh, who's that other fellow they got on the practice squad, Verrett, if he's not better than him, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? You got to play him and you got to get value out of him somewhere, somehow. Unfortunately for the Texans, they're looking for it a little bit too much. I do agree with you in certain spots with Beck. Yeah, I just don't want the long investment. I would like to look at other fullbacks next year. You know, it's not something that I want to settle with. Also, Case Keenum wasn't just the penalties that didn't give him any help. Several drops, Mechie dropped one from each quarterback, I believe. Nico, Brown, Woods all had drops, if I remember. You can also argue that the Browns have the best defense in the NFL. So it's like, okay, Case. We need you to go out there. Our offensive line is going to commit like 4,000 penalties. Your wide receivers aren't going to drop some passes where they get two hands on the ball. I know the coverage was tight, but that's your job. And I know Keenum's the easy scapegoat, but no backup quarterback in the NFL is just going to overcome all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough ask, you know, in back-to-back weeks. The Texans needed 70 minutes to beat the Titans in overtime, you know, the week prior with Case Keenum at quarterback. And look, you were dealt the same set of cards, minus Nico Collins, really. It was it was a slog then. And I don't care about the opponent. I mean, hell, it was the same Titans team that the week prior to that had come back from 14 down inside three minutes to beat the Miami Dolphins. And so you felt pretty good about getting out of Tennessee in those elements with a win, regardless of how you got it. So, yeah, Keenum's a scapegoat. I don't know that the Texans would have uh, been that much better if Davis Mills would have started the game because nah. – no. Davis Mills doesn't play defense. You really uh, were taken advantage of with some gaffes in coverage, the inability to get to Flacco more routinely. I know they hit him seven times, and they hit him one really good time. I think it was the seventh time. I mean, it was a blindside hit by Derek Barnett. And just put him on his butt, but that 39-year-old sucker popped right back up and uh, you know showed that toughness. And there was really nothing you could have done, I think, with the hands that you dealt that would have been a little bit different. I mean, maybe more competitive game, 
you know, with a better game plan, better execution. But let's be honest, man, as many penalties as they had offense and defense, they couldn't take advantage early on of Brown's penalties. On the first drive, they were whistled for two holding calls, and you couldn't get anything going. And uh, Case, I really think arm strength was an issue that day. He needs a pocket to be able to step up and really put some mustard on them throws. And it wasn't there, and he wasn't confident to get rid of the ball in tight spaces. So I saw him kept drifting back. You know, 9, 11 yards from the line of scrimmage, took some tough sacks, threw some dead ducks. I just don't think he trusted his arm enough, and that being the case is why they ended up going with Mills. And I think it's probably the last you'll ever see a Case Keenum playing quarterback in the NFL, to be honest with you. Yeah, look, I mean, Davis Mills – Whatever, they scored a couple of touchdowns. But, I, I mean, Davis Mills nearly threw a couple of interceptions. He's still super inaccurate. He, he might have a strong arm, but he misses guys by five. Yeah. I mean, he misses guys so – he's so off with his th- – I watched it last year. I've seen enough. Look, I, I, I just trust Case Keenum. There are no good options. And also, I just want to remind everybody, you know, you watch Charlie Heck. It was terrible. I, I think this is the last we're going to see of him in a Texans uniform. And, Sean, we can act like you can just keep replacing these offensive linemen. But the last two games, they're playing a rookie who's playing out of position at guard. He's out of position. I don't care what they think they drafted, a center guard, whatever. He's out of position. He, he's not a good guard. They have a practice squad center, a practice squad right tackle. They've had 4,000 injuries. It's a big reason why Stroud – Hasn't played in two weeks. Let's remember that. Those guys up front were the same guys that got Stroud killed and got him with concussion. I'm not mad at those guys. They are who they are, though. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it should be a concern going into the Titans game. If Stroud's able to come back, you know, this week, he'd been sacked, I think, uh, 21 times the previous four games that he'd played after going about a month, month and a half stretch of enduring zero sacks after that horrendous start to the season. So the line, as it's continued to change, and they're on their seventh different starting offensive line this season, having to go with Charlie Heck at right tackle now, it's something to definitely be concerned about. I mean, especially when a guy misses two weeks with a concussion and, you know, taking some uh, tough hits, you know, the weeks before, not necessarily in sacks, but on a quarterback sneak and, you know, some other plays that, uh, you know, Stroud can control. It worries me a little bit, but then, you know, the two games prior to the Jets game before Stroud gets knocked out in the fourth quarter, you'd saw a much more mobile, elusive, by necessity, uh, C.J. Stroud. And he was doing pretty well, you know. He wasn't taking big hits. He didn't sack a little bit, but he wasn't taking big hits. And he just extended plays. And when you had Noah Brown and Nico Collins – uh, and Dalton Schultz at his disposal, they were making plays for him. He'll presumably have all of those guys if he returns this week against the Titans and NRG at his disposal once again. So you got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, it's just since they've had Scruggs out there and Charlie Hack and all, it just scares me to death, like you said. And, you know, one of the things that um, you look at with the Texans also is, um, yeah, I, I want him to get a shot a playoff shot and I, I I want that to happen. And, but I mean, I just don't want it at the expense of like, we're going to put Stroud in harm's way after a concussion, maybe two concussions. We don't know. Cause there was some iffy stuff that happened before some big hits that looked like he might've gotten, I, I just, it scares the hell out of me because 
I mean, this is your hope for the next decade, you know, in CJ Stroud. Um, I mean, the last thing you want is Tua Tungavaloa 2.0. I mean, that's what the Texans, you know, are hoping to avoid, um, you know, giving Stroud every opportunity to, to to get right. And that's something they couldn't control. That's something CJ Stroud couldn't control. I mean, it wasn't until this past weekend where the light sensitivity and the loud noises uh, didn't bother him as much. You know, it was it was good enough to where he took in practice a little bit in the stadium last Friday, watched, and then took in the meetings. So that's good. He's supposed to practice uh, today for the Texans. In what capacity? Don't know. Presume it would be limited. It's all good news. If he's cleared, if he's 100 to play in this game, he needs to play. And he should play. You can worry all you want to. Hell, we were all worrying after the first couple of weeks when he took 19 quarterback hits and 11 sacks. It was like, man, what are we doing? But you didn't know C.J. Stroud was C.J. Stroud at that point in time either. Now you know a little bit more about him. Uh, you should also have a little bit of faith in that. You know what? Yeah, pressure's going to be coming. The offensive line didn't great, but this is the best quarterback of the bunch that knows how to operate within a tight pocket that can elude a pass rush, uh, that knows how to not take a big hit more times than not. All right, let's talk about the Texans' defense and – Sean, do you know a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that can tell me as we talk here at 1045 in the morning on Wednesday, if Will Anderson or John Grenard or Blake Cashman has any shot to play these last couple of games? Cashman, I feel confident about. Um, and the reason is, look, the hamstring injury that he sustained, it's generally on average, at least in the NFL this year, something that causes players to miss an average of 13 days. He's uh, about 14 days removed from that now, I think, uh, maybe a few days longer. So it bodes well for his return. I think the sentiment, the feel, the vibe is that he is back on a practice field this week. I got to be honest with you, I haven't heard anything about Will Anderson. He was in a walking boot a week and a half ago. That never sounds good. The high ankle sprain already had the knee issue that you know, popped up on the injury report the weeks prior to that. He was already being kind of load managed during the practice week because of that knee injury. I got to be honest with you. I think Will Anderson's done for the regular season. That type of injury, I know there's different grades of a high ankle sprain, the severities of it, but it's generally a four-week injury at best. And he's got two more weeks. I think he'd be available if the Texans went to the postseason. But I think in effort to get there, they're going to have to do it without Will Anderson. Jonathan Grenard's curious case, foot injury, uh, suffered in the Browns game. We'll see what we see, you know, on the practice field here in just a few short hours. But I would not be shocked at all if Jonathan Grenard was not at practice. Um, I would be a little shocked that Grenard doesn't practice at all this week. Just from what I observed at the game after the injury, walking around, jogging around, trying to move as best he could. It looked like he wanted to give it a go, was trying if at that point in time you're thinking it's a possibility, to me, a couple of days of rest and recuperation and rehab, getting it worked on, um, should bode well for at least to him give it a shot later in the week. All right, I'm going to let you explain the playoff situation. Do you think you can do it? Can you simplify it for us? Yeah, it's simple. Went out, you're in. Uh, if you lose this game against the Tennessee Titans, you need the Colts to lose. That means – Presumably, I mean, do you foresee the Jacksonville Jaguars winning four, losing four straight games? It could be C.J. Beathard time this week. Maybe they do. If the Jags and the Colts both lose and you lose, then it comes down to the final week of the season for the whole thing in the AFC South. The Jags win, 
the Texans lose and the Colts lose, then that last game of the season against the Colts is their playoff lives on the line. That's a must-win game for the Texans. If they beat the Colts, they'll get in as the seventh seed. If they don't, then they're going to go home. Nine nine and uh, eight just never felt like it was going to get done here in the recent weeks as we've seen them bottled up. You know, there have been four or five teams right there, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seeds in the AFC. Never felt like that was going to be good enough. Ten wins at one point in time, Robert, didn't feel like it was going to be good enough. But because the Jags and the Colts handed the Texans on a silver platter two times out of the last three weeks in which they lost, while the Texans did as well to the Jets and now the Browns, they couldn't take advantage of it. You could be going into this Week 17 game against the Tennessee Titans up two games and thinking about, mm, can we rest some guys <laughs> You know, down the stretch? Not, hey, hurry up. Come on. We need all hands on deck here. It's a completely different mentality. But, hey, when you're in, you lose against the Titans. You need the Colts to lose as well. And then it's <laughs> all chips on the table for that uh, final game of the regular season, Week 18. I want to connect and piece something together and hang with me as I explain this, but a little under the radar story around Houston, Andre Johnson might be named the new TSU head coach this week. It could happen Thursday morning. There's a meeting. And of course, Andre's also a pro football hall of fame semifinalist again. And Sean with the Titans game Sunday, I just thought it's the perfect time to listen to back, listen back to what, John McClain told me on our show a couple of years ago about his favorite Andre Johnson moment. Let's listen. What's the defining moment of an Andre Johnson career? I don't know if anything really specific comes to mind. I think of the Redskins game where he catches the game-winning pass towards the end of the game. You might think of a couple of the catches and touchdowns that he made in the playoffs, but is there a moment for you that comes to mind? Yeah, when he beat the hell out of Cortland Finnegan. You know, people think about Andre, and as Antonio Smith was saying, he was quiet. He let his actions speak louder than words, and sometimes he let his fists speak louder than words. I think when everybody saw him pound Cortland Finnegan, I went up to him the next day and I said, I thought you told me you'd never been in a fight. He said, well, you said in the NFL. And it's pretty it's pretty obvious the way Andre was standing throwing punches because most players didn't fight, that he had been in fights and knew how to fight. And I think that helped his reputation even more as a physical player. You know, Andre's 6'3 and 230. He's a great blocker, and he was tough. I don't think things that were negative about his career, like only winning two division championships, winning two playoff games, touchdowns, that's going to have much to do with him being in the Hall of Fame. And also it's going to be tough because on the first ballot – we just don't put guys, receivers in on the first ballot anymore. So they have to be patient. And I know Andre is a very patient man. Great stuff from John McClain. And, you know, he said, be patient. And, and, and of course, that's the way it's turned out. And don't forget that we have YouTube playlists filled with classic interviews, clips from Houston sports legends. So go back in uh, our YouTube uh, profiles and, and and look at some of that stuff, our, our, our channel, look at that stuff. But Sean, you think Andre would make a good head coach? Is that a good idea? He was kind of a quiet guy, I always thought. You know, I don't know if you need to be loud as a head coach all the time, but it's kind of weird. I, I never would have pegged him as a head coach, um, an offensive assistant, wide receiver coach, somebody that, uh, you know, can be a, a whisperer 
you know, uh, in the film room, calm guys down, get them to see things from a different perspective. Uh, obviously, a, a forward thinker, innovative guy in terms of uh, his craft and maybe finding some subtle little intricacies to help guys out on the field. Like, I, I'd see him as a receiver coach, but as a head coach from what we know it to be as. Um, the other player, former player that uh, recently uh, took a job at a HBCU around the same time that Deion Sanders did at Jackson State before he moved up to uh, Colorado. Can't remember his name, but, you know, look, those guys, you know their personality. Certainly Dion, right? And, you know, a lot of these younger coaches, we, we can see it. Sometimes they're awkward, but they're they're there they're they're a little bit more vocal and boisterous i mean dre is completely the other end of the spectrum there but at the end of the day it's 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 about running a program it's about having the respect of your players earning it and having a good good foundation uh to stand on and players around you uh, coaches, coaches around you that can help build a program. So I imagine there is uh, not one person that he does not know in a football community that he's going to have trouble filling out a competent and um, you know competitive staff. Uh, if in fact that is the case for him, so maybe the personality thing is uh, doesn't mean a thing. You know, we'll, we'll see. But if, if he gets that job, man, you can't be anything but happy and proud for the guy. Yeah, it's funny because usually guys like to. Bring on as their coaches guys that they know real well. So they're, if he if he does get the job, he could be bringing some other former Texans into that TSU fold. That's an interesting thing to keep track of. Let's just uh, close out with: Is there anything you're thinking about for Sunday's game against the Titans? It's hard to say anything until we know who's actually going to be ready to play on Sunday. But what are you thinking about with that one? And do you want to go ahead and have the Texans wear like some? Nashville Sound jerseys or, some, you know, one of the Nashville's teams, uh, you know, for this game. I don't know how we can, you know, ah. get them all fired up, you know, the same way. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? You know what I would do? I'd put a big picture of Bud Adams up on the uh, Jumbotrons there when he's giving them the double rods. You know, when they announced the Tennessee Titans, I'd pop, pop Bud Adams right there. Big double rods for you. Uh, yeah. That'd be about the extent of it. That, that's one of my favorite pictures in sports all time. I don't really care who's at quarterback. Uh, for for the Texans, I do. <laughs> in, in terms of this game, like what I mean to say, it, it doesn't really matter for me because it's bigger than that. You're two weeks removed from the best defensive showing against this very Titans team, where you sacked Will Levis seven times. You you shut down the run. You made NFL history. Um, you know, in, in in the fashion that you held Derrick Henry to just nine yards on sixteen carries, point six yards per attempt. And doing that uh, against you're, the, you're missing though the two guys that were <laughs> the reason why the sacks happened, and, and Will and, and Grenard. Hey, that that's that that's fine, but they've shown that they're more than capable of of doing that uh, at times, with, even without those guys being a competent and consistent defense. And so I, I think yes, the fact that you're going to be without those guys concerns me a little bit. Uh, you could get Cashman back, which should help, you know, against the run game a little. Uh, you don't know. You might get a Ryan Tannehill version of the Tennessee Titans at quarterback this weekend. But it's games in which you're facing an opponent so close together just for the second time in three weeks. They worry me in this sense. Vrabel's been around the block. He's a veteran coach in this league. D'Amico's not. And I think if we're going to talk about, you know, veteranship mattering 
from a playing standpoint certainly has to matter to some degree from a coaching standpoint. And there's a much more veteran staff with the Titans and uh, maybe handling these types of scenarios. And there's no question that Vrabel's going to have the Titans up and ready to play despite even Derrick Henry contemplating retirement a couple of weeks ago after the Texans did what they did to him. But um, I, I worry about that, the game within the game, the chess match, and considering the fact that you're going to have um, a really different-looking secondary at your disposal with Kareem Jackson in the mix, Jimmy Ward out, Jalen Petrie, what's going to be his role, how much are they going to have to rely on DeAndre Houston Carson, and Kadar Holman at the positions. I, I don't know. It's very, very interesting. Um, I still kind of am convincing myself that, you know what, the run game's good enough. Last week was an anomaly. Slowick's pretty good at bouncing back from these types of games. Stroud, with the idea that he could come back, the possibility he could come back this week, I got the Texans pulling out another close one against the Titans and uh, keeping their playoff hopes alive for one more week. Yeah, I, I would hope that that would be the case, especially you don't want to lead into both Christmas and New Year's Day <laughs> in the same depressing sort of fashion yeah. that you did. Yeah. And and also, you know, just God, it would be fun to have like a final game, you know, with everything on the line against the Colts the following week. I mean, how special was that? And, you know, I just, you know, I like I said, I'm sort of torn because. You know, you know, I, I don't think we can do much of anything unless Stroud comes back. But it's also, you know, just it's 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 I'm so concerned about that guy and, and playing the long game and everything like that. Usually my theory is, especially in the NFL, man, everything sometimes has to go right for you to get to the playoffs. And everybody just goes, oh, well, don't worry about this year because we're all we're set up. And that whole thing, we're set up, man, chemistry can fall apart. Coaching staffs can change. It all could change, like in a in a millisecond in the NFL. But at the same point, you know, when you got a quarterback in the NFL, man, it's just that's a it's the biggest thing that there is. And and you got yeah. C.J. Stroud, and and to risk anything with him is just I I don't know. And you know, man, it would sure it would sure help at least it would make me feel a little bit better if George Fant was out there. Not not that Charlie Heck was just straight trash but just have another guy because it just feels like it's like a dam and if there's one break you're like okay i think we can control it if there's two break oh it's a little bit harder but when there's three and four and boom 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 yeah it's it's it just it sucks well keep in mind too you know jonathan grenard had a lot of success against their left tackle who, who was a sixth round rookie can't remember the dude's name duncan i think it was um, you know, he'd beat him like a drum all day. So even if Bernard can't go, I feel pretty good about uh, Jerry Hughes or, you know, Derek Barnett, uh, whoever's matched up on that cat uh, to make him work uh, and wish he wasn't there that day uh, as well. So there is that. But then, too, for the third straight week, and I guess technically you do this every week of the NFL season anyway, but for the third straight week, you're really preparing two quarterbacks to play. Because um, I think with C.J. Stroud reportedly being uh, at practice today and, you know, at least a limited capacity, you can't bank on him playing this week. So in all likelihood, it's going to be Davis Mills, who they would be preparing as well to be the starter on Sunday against the Titans. That's always got to be a factor because you never really know 
sometimes maybe that helps guys. Sometimes maybe it hurts them. I don't know. And if it's Stroud and if he's ready to go, I I, I don't know. It's 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 going to be kind of a, a curious thing to kind of follow this week with um, if he's a limited participant, a full participant, what that looks like, what it sounds like. Um, we'll see. I I still I still it, it's not in Slowick I trust. I but I kind of do trust him to not put two stinkers together back to back because he hadn't done it since weeks one and two. One minor correction. I, I think I said, Will Anderson played that Titans game. Grenard did. Will Anderson did not. The big thing, you know, with this game is, you know, the Texans, I, I just would like them not to like go into a hole early. They've been getting in holes early in these games and it just it gets real hard to come out of it, especially with, you know, all the issues that they do have to deal with. So consider that. Also, reminder, Texans postgame show should be back. We, we should be ready to go Sunday for that one. So uh, we'll be coming right back at you. Thanks for doing this, Sean. I know it's a busy week for you. You're subbing out quite a bit with the guys on vacation for the holidays over at 610. And uh, people have been listening to you in the morning. You, you coming back, doing more morning stuff this week? Uh, Thursday. That's tomorrow. I'm on uh, 10 to 2 in the loop with Landry Locker. All right. Sounds good, man. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.